and the non-believers shall be cast out from the kingdom of heaven and struck down by the wrath of God the Almighty. So, ladies and gentlemen, the year is 2021. Uh, the day was the 6th of January, and we had, for all intents and purposes, although a, a failure of one, a coup in the United States of America. And I don't want anyone to let uh, individuals in mainstream media or any sort of political punditry to try to downplay the severity of these events that happened in the Capitol on the 6th. This was absolutely an attempted coup. And just like an attempted murder is just as bad in its attempt as it is in its failure. It is not only an attack on Americans. This was a, this was a, this was a very un-American event. <laughs> This is, this is an attack on the institutions of democracy that we have in this country, as flawed as they can be at times, thankfully, and in, in my own personal opinion and observation, surprisingly, these institutions uh, were strong enough to uh, withstand a terrorist attack made by the cult of personality that is the Trumpers. And I was very pleased to see that Congress and the Senate went right back in the same night to do the job they said they were going to do. I think it was a good show of uh, strength and unity there, even though you had six senators who, for all intents and purposes, they aided and abetted in these uh, terrorist actions by their words and by what they didn't say uh, and by the votes that they held on the floor. So anyway, these things have occurred. We have to live with the fact that these have happened. It is the day after these uh terrorist riots occurred in D.C. in the Capitol. The inauguration is coming up. Trump has less than two weeks in office. People are talking about using the 25th Amendment. New articles of impeachment are being written by Representative Ilhan Omar as we speak. Incoming freshman Congresswoman Cori Bush is, right, is drafting legislation to call for the extrication and removal of con congressional members who incited this violence. And we have a president whose administration is fleeing the scene right now. So yeah, let's uh, let's turn it over for some group discussion. <laughs> oh boy, uh, <laughs> I don't know what just left to say about it. I mean, you pretty much summed it up. Uh, I, I guess just off the top, I just want to clear the air and just say like, I'm sorry to the people that were you know in the Capitol this time. Uh, I, I know it was scary and I know that it was intense and um, I'm glad that, that everyone made it out safely. Um, and I'm just very disgusted that this even happened or this is even uh, a thing that can happen. Uh, I think a lot of times as Americans, uh, this country thinks that it's better than these types of things and we forget that, that um, we're not you know, and that's uh, disappointing to say the least, but at this point, I don't know how surprised I am. Yeah, it was the most shocking and unsurprising thing that's happened um, so far. I genuinely, I, so in the back of my head, I knew that there was going to be a Trump 
gathering of some kind in DC. And obviously with any gathering of Trump supporters, there's going to be some sort of, it's either, one or two things will happen. There's either going to be an embarrassingly low number of them or someone gets hurt. One of the yeah. two, <laughs> which is why Tulsa was so yeah. funny. Um, but it's very important to remember these people that showed up and I'm not even, I'm not going to entertain the argument of like, it's not all the Trump supporters. That's at this point, that is irrelevant. That is irrelevant. What we know is that this is a um, vintage white supremacy that showed up in the Capitol. And I think that we can agree that there was a deep, disturbing failure of capital security of the forces that were there, where a moderately sized group of civilians was able to make their way into the chambers of Congress, sit in the offices of congressional members, take photos of computer screens in those rooms. That was a failure of security. But not only that, this was a far-right pro-Trump mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol with Confederate flags. That was the most striking thing to me to see, was it was the first time a Confederate flag has flown in the halls of our Capitol. And I'm not even wow. a huge, like, I'm not a huge, like, oh, the hallowed halls of the Senate and the Congress and the White House. I don't care. It, to me, it was kind of the Notre Dame thing. I'm like, I understand why people think this is important. I didn't have an emotional reaction when Notre Dame burned down. I was like, I think it's a beautiful building, whatever, build it back, cool. So I don't have this like deep love and reverence for buildings in Washington, but it wasn't about the buildings. Like what they did was an attempt to incite fear. Um, and again, I love, so it was a Car Carol Anderson, I think that the NBC said that it was, uh, what we're seeing now is vintage white rage which is what this is. This is the last gasp of far-right extremists in this country. Unfortunately, of that generation, there's a new upcoming fun little like Twitter Nazis and stuff like that that come up still, but hey, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think if saying a failure of the security is uh, an understatement, I think it's embarrassing. Yeah, um, Sorry. I was like, how many trillions of uh, dollars do we give the military every year? and the National Guard can't respond faster than a Metropolis ambulance? Are you kidding right. me? I could get a taxi in New York faster. Uh, but the memes, the memes have been amazing to come out of this. The favorite yeah. one I've seen is that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't respect Nick Cage as much for stealing the Declaration of Independence anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we have to start understanding. So before yesterday, I, I, would, I would make the argument, I think I've made it on the show before, where I'm like, we have to live with these people, so we might as well try to find ways to bring them on board. How can we uh, find common ground? How do we work with them? They're going to be here. Today, at least, right now, I have shifted on that, where I am like, I think that complete social ostracization is the best thing right now. Exclude them from every aspect of social society that we can. I'm not saying if you have a Trump flag in your front yard, we build a wall, a wall around your yard, although you might like that. <laughs> but I do think that there, 
this has shown me that, and, and not just from the riots and the terrorism that occurred, but from watching right-wing pundits after try to equivocate, try to make excuses, try to uh, blame leftist extremists for this. I'm like, first of all, nobody there had blue hair. None of them were leftists, I assure you. Like, and th that doesn't even matter at this point. But I'm like, you operate in such a different reality. I can't engage with you. I can't. Yeah. I don't know. What, I can't even like saying like good morning might be so charged for these people. I don't know what they'll do. And like I was saying right before we got on the call, like right before we started recording, I live a street over from my state capitol, like the capitol building in my state. I had my window cracked waiting, like listening. I'm in the South. Like I, I, I live in a Republican state. There's really no reason for them to be mad, but I'm like, who knows? Like they might just snap one day. So I don't, I don't know what we do to move forward. I, I, to me, the only thing that I've found some solace in is that we do have at least some uh, great people operating for us and for the American people. Um, representatives like Ilhan Omar and Cori Bush gave me a lot of confidence yesterday when they immediately jumped on it. They're like, as soon as we get back in there, we're going to finish our job and we are drafting articles of impeachment. <laughs> I feel yeah. safer with you guys in there. <laughs> I, I agree with you. And I like, you know, the feeling that someone is doing something. Mm -hmm. My issue comes where I see things like a representative says, I'm drafting impeachment papers now. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But the president has done how many right. other impeachable things? For sure. uh, like a For thousand? Sure. So... I have no faith in that anymore. And I have no faith in the system. Um, I just don't believe anything will come of this, you know, like if this is absolutely in the top five <laughs> worst things that Trump has done while he's in office. I, I know that's that, unbelievable to me. Yeah, I know that this, this can absolutely be contended. I think that this is the worst thing. And it's not just because of what happened while the Rioter, the rioters and the terrorists were there. The fact that the president of the United States directly incited violence and sedition in DC. This isn't him calling for riots and one of his supporters burning down a target. That's very different, very different. This was an attack on institutional democracy that's been in this country. It, it, at the level that it has been for at least decades now. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> like this is some banana republic behavior that we're seeing right now. It makes me wonder, I'm like, I knew with like whatever administration comes in next is gonna have a hell of a time working, building back our foreign relations. This would not make me, first of all, I don't even have, I don't have to guess what the world leaders are thinking. They've made it very clear. This is very disturbing to them. And I agree. Yeah. It's very disturbing. And I'm like, an incompetent person failed this time. A competent person will not fail the next time. It just is what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's, that's got me particularly worried. Yeah. I just saw a thing on Twitter before we started this. Um, 
and it said that, and I mean, you know, this is Twitter news, so I'm not going to just say this is reliable, but um, the person was talking about like how in 1923 Hitler uh, attempted and failed a coup, and then in 1933 is when Hitler rose to yeah. power. Yeah. Um, and I don't, obviously, I don't bring that up to be like, oh, Hitler, fear mongering, scare <laughs> tactics. I just, I just bring it up to mean like we're not out of the woods yet. Like, yeah, yeah, this failed, but these people are still around. Like these people mm -hmm. are still out there. still believing what they're believing. Um, uh, so unless we change something, unless we figure out a way forward, this is going to happen again. Yeah. So let's, let's break that down a little bit more. Um, we have to change something. True. Very true. Um, I think there's some pretty big, obvious changes we could make that here's the thing angry people don't leave their home or certain angry people do angry people take to the streets when somebody is stressed when they're angry when they're frustrated they take to the streets a lot of these people i'm not talking about the rioters and the terrorists that were in dc because they are a totally different breed but there is a growing economic unrest in this country right i think we that's yep. yeah absolutely especially with miss rona in town like, mm -hmm. not good. There are some pretty obvious basic changes that we need to be making to the way that we, and Pfeiffer, I'll throw it over to you, but very obvious ways that we can be looking differently at how we view um, quality of life in this country, how we view the workplace in this country, how we view economics in this country, how we view healthcare in this country, how we view childcare in this country. A lot of different things. And at some point in this discussion, I do want us to tie it back around to where does religion play into this? Because it does. There is a role for it. Mm -hmm. um, but right now, what are some of these changes that need to be made to alleviate this, this like ever-growing anxiety? Because content people are very hard to radicalize. I'm not worried. I am worried about those who have already been radicalized. I'm more worried about those who haven't yet. Yeah, could the potential be. to be potential yeah. those scare me more it's the exact same thing as non-voters when i'm working for a campaign the number one concern i always bring up is non-voters how do we get people who haven't voted to vote that is the exact same tactic that extremist groups use to recruit they're not trying to get people who are already in the group deeper into it they don't need to like trump did a great job activating non-voters I mean, because he's a psychopath, but. <laughs> um, but it works. Yeah. So, what are some of these changes? I, the number one for me is healthcare. Yeah. I mean, universal, done. <laughs> like, stroke of the pen in public or private insurance, gone. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely agree with you there. This is the part where it gets hard for me to not like give up. The part where I, I feel the most hopeful, hopeless um, is when we're talking about things like this and I'm like, oh, yeah, healthcare is the number one priority. And um, and it, then I think, well, it's never going to happen because we have people out there who are just going to go down swinging to the end of yeah. their days saying that public healthcare mm -hmm. is, even though they would benefit from it, even though their quality of life would be better, 
they're going to attack it and call it radical socialism and leftist and this and that America is just going into the clutches of socialism and like all these, I mean, look at all the attack ads that Kelly Leffler just ran. Like, you know, like yeah. I was, I was home oh. for a, a, a couple of weeks around Christmas and all I heard and all I saw was the attack ads from Leffler and uh, Purdue. And they were all just trying to radical scare. liberal Raphael. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so that's where, <laughs> that's where my mind goes. It's like, I, I want these things to happen, but it's hard for me to keep faith and believe that it can happen. Well, what if I told you that the vast majority of the people in this country do support single-payer health care? Just as an example of one of the things that needs to change. 69%, this was in a um, Hill-Harris uh, daily poll back in April of last year. The peak of the uh, presidential primaries, right? Everything was going crazy at that point. We were coming up, or we, we had passed Super Tuesday, so I was sad but everything was going great. 69%. It has grown. I don't have the exact number for how it's grown, but I do remember the Hill reporting that it has grown. And that's one area that we can improve on. There's other areas. The stimulus check coming in, mm -hmm. hopefully, unless the Democrats do that thing they <laughs> have to do where they uh, win all of their elections and then still don't come through. Um, I mean, my, my roommates have already got their check. Or 600 or 2000? 600. Uh, okay. Mm. Also, we just got the 10 minute warning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are, that's just one thing. Healthcare is one thing. And the good thing is, is that uh, in the last round of um, congressional races, every single, I'm just going to speak for the Democrats here because I don't know about Republicans, every single Democrat that lost did not support single payer healthcare. I'm not saying they lost because of that, but none of the ones who support it lost their re-elections. I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> We're okay, moving, I, I, this is where my bright-eyed, bushy tail, never give up hope um, drama queen comes out, where I do believe in humanity. I think people want good things. I don't think they always know what that good thing is. Some of them think the good thing is breaking into the halls of Congress and committing uh, domestic terrorism, but most people want things that they feel better than. And um, I believe it was a quote by, yes. Um, so this is from an NBC article that was talking about the rise and everything, but um, Newsom Bass had a really good quote. Part of why Trump inspires his cult-like loyalties because he embodies that grievance. When he says, I have been robbed, he is speaking for the white supremacist cause. When there's, a, when there's a perception that the power of whiteness is being lost, the act of violence is what reinforces and assures it. The part that I want to focus on is that when he says, I have been robbed, he is speaking for the white supremacist cause. That's true. When he says, I've been robbed, there are people that resonates with because there are people who have been robbed. And I would yeah. say it's just the general working class, right? What we have to do now is find a way forward. How do we improve people's lives to make sure they have less incentive to fall down these rabbit holes. Because somebody who has a good paycheck, knows their kids are being taken care of, isn't worried about healthcare, isn't worried about going bankrupt over uh, something that they can't control, they are much harder to turn into a neo-Nazi or a terrorist of any kind, right? Yeah. What do we do?
healthcare is one, um, raising the minimum wage would be, raising the minimum, I didn't realize this, I was like, it would double the salary of like millions across the country. I mean, I knew it was going to be big, right? But like, yeah. anyway, side note. Uh, um, uh, for, for me, one of my big interests at the moment is universal basic income. Uh, yeah, I boy. think that is a fantastic idea and the way that Andrew Yang has laid it out. And um, I think it would dramatically improve the quality of life for a lot of people. Um, again, my issue is that the people that it would improve their life, they will vote against it. They will, they will. Which is why, thankfully, um, we do have a little bit of time to have conversations, very hard conversations with people in our communities about what is best for them. Because it's best for me. I want healthcare. And because I know I want good healthcare, I know I need my neighbor to agree because I want them to have good healthcare. I want them to be able to vote for it. It's having those tough conversations, which is why getting involved in local politics is a great avenue to have those conversations. You get to speak to a lot of people you didn't think you'd get to. City councils in Columbia are wild. <laughs> it's nuts. But I, I'm trying not to be like Debbie Downer over here, but I think just, just no, but that's that's important. I mean, you have to yeah. when when it does get overwhelming, like it's good to acknowledge that. Like remember it. That's what I'm trying to encourage people to do right now. Like remember how weird this is. Like don't. Let them make you forget that this isn't normal. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's started to feel like, you know, like we said earlier, nothing is a surprise anymore. Like it's hard to feel like this isn't normal. Yeah. Because we've been living in this chaos for four years now. And it's particularly the ramped up this last year. And man, it's, yeah, you're right. This don't don't let them rehabilitate history. I don't want to see Ellen DeGeneres going to a basketball game with Mike Pence five years from now. Like yeah. it's normal. It's not. Pfeiffer, <laughs> what do you got? What's on your mind? Um, well, I guess uh, to make things better as a joke, but also in seriousness, <laughs> make sure everyone has sex. Because when you're not masturbating or having sex, you get really pissy. That is true. That is true. And a lot of like alt-right groups uh condone masturbation and they condemn it they could yeah con sorry condemn that's what i meant how dare they condone it not in my america then a lot of yeah. other alt-right groups come out because they can't like find girlfriends it's mostly yeah. like dudes obviously um, yeah i mean are you talking about like incels right now yep yeah boy the incelibates yeah the incel group is they're it's wild. Not same as alt right, but it's pretty. I mean, it's it has it's, it's the up. Venn the Venn diagram doesn't have many out like outer edges. It's a circle. Um. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of uh, it was kind of a joke, but like uh, I, I I guess a segue to my main point is my personal I I guess belief on why a lot of this is happening, especially for white supremacists, is what 60 years ago they they would they would be high status and they would have respect because they're white 
and that's no longer the case. And they see people around them who are better people than them, who are of a minority race, doing better than them, and they get mad because what they, quote, had is being lost. Their relative position in society is going downhill because they suck. Um, and more minority people are getting more opportunities and jobs and are advancing How dare they? in society. Well, I think it goes back to a fundamental misunderstanding of what privilege is. And I've had, I've had this conversation where I was frustrated at how it was described to me initially, where I was like, my life isn't easy, but it's not, that's not what it's about. Um, It's challenges that I like, don't even know this, I'm white. Um, There are challenges that I just haven't had to inherently face based on my skin right there are like there are people of color who have had better lives than me but i would absolutely argue me as a you know fairly middle class i mean maybe not anymore but i used to be middle class (laughs) um white individual i faced less inherent challenges with people of color in my economic class especially um because class privilege is a whole different sorry whole different dealio whole different thing and i I think that there is a i am not about to equivocate and say that it's justified at all the feeling of frustration is real that some individuals do have because they've been deceived into thinking that their status in society is being degraded it's not that's the thing like you as an individual have not lost any value in the upliftment of minority communities who are just trying to get lifted up to where you're at. Like it's not past you, anything like that. Like it's the whole. But that's the whole thing. That's the, yeah, that's the, the literal back, uh, like the underlying thing to all lives matter is they think someone right. is like mattering more than them or something's being taken from them. And like, I mean, look at Make America Great Again. Like that whole slogan is uh, based on like hearkening back to some time in American history that was better than it is now. Right. And for you know, who, what time, yeah. right, for who? And, <laughs> and like America, as fucked up as it is right now, is better than it's ever been in a lot of ways. Yeah. Lot, the world is, be- the world's at the yeah. best place it has ever been. Like. We, right. keep, to, we keep going up and up. It's just how hard, are you, how hard are you willing to fight and how hard are you willing to push to make the world even better? Right. And, and I think the people that say make America great again, like that's the whole point is that it was great for them because of their skin color and they mm-hmm. didn't have to work for their position. And, and now like that they're actually having to like understand that other people exist in the world I do think that there is, there is genuine economic dis- distress, right? I, I really do believe that, and this is not me trying to justify this belief at all. It's completely incorrect, completely false, but it's something that is a reality for some people, even though it is a delusional one, which is that there are people who live under very, I'm talking about white people here, like especially like poor white people who live under economic distress who think that when 
somebody says BLM or they say the term white privilege, that they're saying they have it better because of the color of their skin. And in their minds, they're interpreting that as, well, my life's not hard or my life's not easy. I've had to work a lot for what I have. How dare you say that like, it's because of the color of my skin. And part of this is um, sort of a failure of messaging, especially on like, like college activists, which, you know, everyone's been an annoying college activist at some point. And a lot of activism coming out of college students is incredible and wonderful. And I'm only talking about like 2% here, right? Um, but a lot of that can be very annoying if you do have it hard economically, if, you're, if your job was shipped overseas, if you have been struggling your whole life, if your family's been in a cycle of poverty and you know, you've got, you think there's a group of people telling you that your life is easy. When in reality, that has nothing to do with the conversation about race and privilege, which is what I would say is the one of the biggest um, misconceptions that these people have. Now, some of them acknowledge that they know the actual truth about it, and they're still angry because they're just racist. Cool. Um, but yeah, I think it, it really does come down to like, it's this it's this weird de like delusional form of white supremacy, which white supremacy in of itself is delusional anyway, but it, it's this fear that people have that because we're going to have, you know, I didn't I, I didn't vote for her in the primaries and I most likely wouldn't have by any stretch of the means, but we're gonna have our first like black female vice president. All in all, in terms of like precedent that sets for later down the line that's a good thing like i'm not going to share my opinions on kamala harris because i don't care but like there are people who see that and they think that it's an attack on them personally because there are organizations and groups that financially benefit from you taking that as a personal attack against yourself where they i'm talking about organizations like prager you prager you makes financial benefit off of peddling these conspiracy theories and these lies keep so they're gonna, so much i know they're horrible and they're going to keep it up that's why i'm saying we need to we need to find a way we need to start having some discussions about where do we go from here and who do we include like there are trumpers that i i can't interact with without i'm not uh i'm just not patient enough and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that I get to, that I have friends and I have people in my life who are patient enough to do that. I am not right now. I hope to be by the end of the year. <laughs> I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of interactions there. So hopefully I'll be able to grow in that. But what do we do? How do we, how do we support each other? What do we do from here? And then let's dive into the role of religion after. I think the first place we need to be looking is what I guess we would term the undecided voter. So like someone who does not have an allegiance either way. Right. Um, someone who is just confused and maybe they're just entering politics for the first time or um, they've really had a space to explore themselves and their views in a way they never have. Like those are the people that we're gonna be able to have a conversation with and they're gonna have the most open um, mind so I think that will be the first thing we need to do 
it mm-hmm. is to reach people like that. I think the second and the more difficult thing, especially for me, is going to be having difficult conversations with people like we were discussing that are, they're victims really of this like weird scheme by white supremacists in power that have diluted the voter into thinking that voting against themselves is the right way to go about it. Um, And these are people that have struggled in life. And like you were saying earlier, uh, like they've struggled and then they take it as a personal attack when, when someone sell, says that black lives matter because they think it's an attack that their life doesn't matter. Right. Um, like, I think these people are in some way reachable. It's just going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, and it's hard because uh, a lot of these people are kind of in echo chambers where they watch Fox news and everybody they know watches Fox news. And But I watched Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, uh, Fox News and OAN are not exactly a diverse palette. Um, So that's the hard part is it's not so much like when you have a conversation with them one on one, I think it's tolerable and you can find common ground. It's just like this, this like automatic reset to party lines every time they get stumped. Yeah. And when they're outside of that conversation with you, like when they're in their community, when they're in their Facebook groups, like that's where you're going to lose them because they're going to go right back to, uh, you know, Karen saying that vaccines are implanted with microchips and whatnot. Um, I mean, I paid extra for that. So (laughs) Microsoft wrote this all. Yeah. I just want to be able to save my passwords easier. (laughs) So like, that's the group that I, one struggle with personally talking to and two struggle to see how we could make lasting change in that group. Like, yes, it's possible because we all know we were all there. We were all in the South when we were in high school. And so we were all surrounded by this mentality. We all made it out. So like as stupid and anecdotal as that is, we know that it can happen. It can work. Uh, but not everybody has six years to plunge into several degrees, you know? Um, and so that's my issue is, and we were talking about this before it started is I know where I started, uh, when I, you know, believed everything that was around me in the South. Um, and what it took for me was to physically leave the South, you know, like now I live in a more progressive city and, um, my views are entirely different than when I was, a kid and so um how, how do we do that we, we you know we can't all just say hey go move to this leftist city you know go get a master's degree in counseling or education or um or something like that you know like what do we you know how, how do we reach them fun fact you bring that up so um as we all know because i tell everyone every day uh, I worked on a president. I worked on two presidential campaigns um, so far in my life. I want to keep that number going. But um, this last one, I got the honor of working as a reg- as uh, a regional coordinator, which means nothing because I was in the Clinton, South Carolina area. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 
literally going door to door in uh, Clinton and Greenwood and Waterloo, South Carolina, um, advocating for socialist policy. That was some of the most rewarding conversation I've ever had. I want to do it again. It, it, really? it like, I thought I was going to get tired. I never got tired. There was not one day I didn't want to go do it. And it wow. wasn't because the conversations always went great. Most of the time they didn't. Yeah. But what I found, and this is purely anecdotal, um, but I would be shocked that it, if this did not apply in a wider sense to some degree, is that when you connect issues that people have with solutions that somebody else is fighting for, they'll get behind them. It doesn't matter. So full, full disclosure, I worked on the Sanders campaign for 2020. Super fun. Had a blast. And um, I met a lot of people. And I, again, I lived in this area, but I didn't speak to everyone because no one lives within a mile of each other. So, you know, um, you walk up somebody's like two mile dirt road driveway to go to, to, go to their double wide and talk to them about like universal health care. And people are very willing to sign on to an agenda that puts them first. And the reason that a lot of this, again, this is the anecdotal part. The reason that kept coming up as to why they didn't want to sign on to, let's say like a democratic ticket, all of the reasons that they would give me were culture, like culture issues. It was, you know, abortion. It was same-sex marriage. It was Black Lives Matter. But after just like a few minutes of conversation, again, not all and not even most, but like a chunk, at least daily on our, on our, like our rounds that we would make, we would meet someone who just didn't know. And then when you explained it to them and you encouraged them like, hey, we're going to tell you what we know, but you can also look this up on your own, just giving that permission. And again, we, we would come back. So we went, we did our first rounds for voter registration. Then we did the second round for voter um like reminders, like, hey, um, it was during the Democratic primary. We're like, hey, the voting time is coming up. And um, we had people who flipped. Like, again, I don't know the percentage That's point. Friendly. I doubt I doubt it was a huge percentage point. But we had, I like got to speak to individuals who I was, that I had spoken to that said they were either not going to vote, they were going to vote for Biden because Biden was a big name in South Carolina, obviously in the Democratic primary. Mm-hmm or Trump. And there were people who, because they just didn't know, and you leveled with them and you described their issue and how your agenda could address it came around. Like there, there was a woman, and again, can't give names. And I, I don't remember the specific area that she lived in anymore, but it was her first time voting and she was in her seventies. Hmm. Wow. And she wasn't going to vote, but because we talked about social security and Medicare, she was all over it. And again, that's anecdotal. That's one person, but this is a narrative that we see time and time again, especially in progressive races that go on on the congressional level, on the state level. I mean, the, the DSA won seats across the nation. That's huge. And it's because these grassroots organizations are talking to people every single day addressing their specific issues their family needs i legitimately think that we need to start calling it pro-life politics like 
that's what it is. I don't know how else to word it. <laughs> what do you mean by pro-life politics? Like, like quality of life, right? Yeah, quality quality of life. Oh, okay, like okay. like pro. If we if there was ever going to be a third party that I could get behind, it would be a, it would be a working people's party. Yeah. Like for sure. Um, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but uh, it's leveling yeah. with people. We have to start having these conversations with the people around us that we just meet randomly because we don't know which one of them is interested in getting involved in the politics that's going to lead them to be a terrorist in D.C. It's a non-zero number. We know that. It is a non-zero number of people in the room. Fortunately. <laughs> and I'm not talking about turning every single person into the most, you know, woke, woke leftist socialist. I don't want that, frankly. Right. But... I, mean, I do want that, but <laughs> <laughs> there are there are things we do agree on that we could fight for, but we're being distracted by these cultural war issues that don't matter. I don't know how to this bring is, people out of that, but yeah, that that was my point that I was going to make earlier is that um, you said that a lot of them their issue was culture, yeah, and uh, that's that's where. <sighs> Again, I get hopeless because that's a harder problem to fix. Yeah, um, right. And it's kind of like me and Ben we're talking about on uh, the recent YouTube video we did to end 2020. Mm -hmm. When good people do bad things. And to that extent, what can we even say is a yeah. good person or a bad person? It really hurt me that you guys made a video about me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like... Ben asked for a specific example, and I didn't want to get too political on there, but my the reason that came this whole thing came up for me was that I know people who I consider to be mostly good um, who were voting for Trump, who were, yeah. who were voting Republican, and this ties back into this the podcast we did on like why Christians can't be Republicans. Um, I It's just hard for me to reconcile that, that good people can vote Trump. Mm -hmm. um and like that's the group that i want to reach the most yeah because they've shown they can be good but it's also the hardest group for me to reach i think I they're so frustrated i think they're scared yeah it's an irrational fear for sure like it's absolutely irrational like you know joe biden and kamala harris are not going to enact sharia law in your backwater no. town they're not going to do it anywhere you know they're not going to come by and pour liquid communism down your kid's throat. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. If only. Um, if only, right? If only. But like, let's be honest, like Joe Biden's a centrist anyway. Yeah. and it, But here's the thing. It doesn't matter who it is. It has nothing yeah. to do with Joe Biden. It yeah, really doesn't, right, right. which is why I don't even bring him up in conversations with these people because it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. I also yeah. have no opinion on him at all whatsoever. But um, it's fear. And like, um. You know, ben, ben and I were talking to an individual whose name I will not reveal, but they said they were talking to a relative of theirs who just started crying when they were confronted with like, you can't support this guy. Like he's done all these horrible things. And like, they started crying because they were afraid. And here's the thing. I'm not saying it's rational. I'm not trying to say feel bad for these people, but I'm saying it's an irrational fear, but it is a fear and fears can be addressed. Fears you can work on fears. You can mm, talk about, you can't talk about, it's hard to pull somebody out of anger but it's easier to address mm -hmm. their fears. That's a really good point. People who understand 
usually aren't afraid. Some things you do understand you're still afraid of for good reason. But like, it's this, we need to start, I kind of going, kind of going back to Ben's incel point. What is one of the, like the common factors of an incel? Is that they're usually poorly socialized. They don't have a lot of friends in real life. They don't really interact with like people, right? This is a trend. Like people don't have these like strong, healthy social interactions. Again, this is not like a, you know, a panacea, a cure-all whatsoever. But we do have to start being kinder to each other. And unfortunately, I'm going to say unfortunately, because that's exactly how I feel about it. That includes the Trump supporters who are worried about culture issue, who probably wouldn't riot in D.C. and, you know, perform acts of terrorism, but maybe they're pro-life and they think that the Democrats want to drink baby blood in the name of the, you know, the great God Baal. There are people like that out there. And those people I, I can work with. I'm like, you have fears I know how to address. <laughs> but like, it's having those conversations, it's making those connections, it's bringing those those people and addressing their economic, for me, it's their economic issues is the, the main driver. Oh, that's where it all starts. Yeah. Um, so let's transition the conversation into where does religion play into this? Because this is a podcast where we each have differing views on religion, but we usually talk about the religious aspect of a situation. This is a very intense situation, uh, something we never thought we'd see in our life. Well, I didn't, I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Um, something that never even occurred to me was a possibility that could happen here, but it yep. did. And we have to deal with it. So where does religion go in this equation? Or religious yeah, people? It fix it or how did it start it or? Well, <laughs> I think that there's a whole different conversation of how uh, religion played into the incitement of this, but yeah. uh-huh. I don't believe that religion in this instance directly led to this um this seems more this is more cult behavior than religious behavior and those are two different things and it's it's healthy to identify between the two this is not religious behavior i think this is more cult behavior (laughs) um you know it's but like where do religious people fit into this what can they do right what is the way forward for people who are religious who, and again, before we started, I said, I want to talk to people who are concerned. I don't want to talk to people who think this was a wonderful thing that happened. I don't care about those people right now, but like religious people who are concerned right now about the direction that we're going in and this specific instance of terrorism in DC, what do they do right now? Um, I think the first thing that religious people have to do is to condemn it. Um, I agree. This, unfortunately, with the state of religion in this country, uh, Christianity in particular, they have to condemn this. It's not. Um, it's no longer assumed that Christians would have condemned something like this. Um, and when, when I see pictures of the chaos that was happening, and all the terrorists were standing around, you know, breaking into the Capitol, and then one of them is holding a "Jesus Save" sign. Um, I in no way think that's indicative of Christianity, but I think Christians should be aware um, that that is a a non-zero number of their supporters 
um, are, are um, like, like, I'll put it this way. If you had have asked the people that were there at the Capitol that day uh, what their religion was, I think a significant number of them would have been Christian or at least identified as such. So a non-zero number. A non-zero number. And I think uh, to combat that, Christians need to condemn this and need to say this is not what Christianity is. Yeah. Um, and I want to give first credit. And foremost. I want to give credit to those that have. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, like, I mean, you know, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Um, <laughs> came, I mean, obviously he's going to come out strong against that. But you've had leadership in denominations like um, the Episcopalians. Uh, you've had leadership in the Presbyterian Church. You've had leadership even in the Baptist Church. I mean, not as much, but um, still some. Still bumps still, still a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of humanity left. And um, there are there. So there are wonderful reverends and religious leaders who are also activists who do an incredible job. And so I'm I'm a lefty. I'm I'm a big old leftist. And one of the things that frustrates me, I'm also religious, but one of the things that frustrates me is that um, oftentimes uh, religious activism, or not, it's not religiously based activism, but it's activism coming from those who are religious, um, that their activism is fueled by their religion often gets sort of like, not often, it's, it's there, it's very important. Um, like MLK, obviously, like, is you know Eugene V. Debs, both like all these individuals were religiously influenced towards their activism. So I believe in the power of religious people to do the right thing. And I think that many of them have these convictions to act on, but it's having that backbone that like, and it's cheesy, but that courage to step out and call out injustice when you see it because your religion calls you to do so is very important to encourage. So I do want to give a, a big old two thumbs up to the religious leaders across the country that have come out strong throughout this presidency um, to denounce the wrongdoings of this administration. So you're saying we should not stand back and stand by. Don't should. stand back and don't stand by. Do not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I mean... There's some, especially in the South, it's one thing that I'm very proud of to be a Southerner um, in activism is that some of the greatest voices in religious activism have come from the South. It just has like, and that goes all the way back to like abolition days. Like it was religious, religious activists can do incredible things, have done amazing things, have, you know, ran for president from prison and, you know, gotten, you know, didn't win but did, did okay, you know, Mr. Eugene Debs. <laughs> um, but there's there's value in religious teaching that I think could be utilized right now, could be very useful right now, uh, is needed right now. Um, so my, my voice and my message is to encourage religious individuals to act on those calls of justice in your religion, speak out against the injustice that you see. You know, when it comes to Christianity, use that you know spirit of justice that you talk about use it speak with it call out the white supremacy call out the injustice sorry i'm burping you know call out the terrorism and say say what it is and again giving credit to those that have already yeah i think uh, i guess 
yeah, in, in words, I agree with you. I think an important uh, like thing to say, I guess, or to add on, um, is for for Christians to use their sense of justice to combat the false sense of justice that some are using Christianity yeah. to say exists. Take yeah. back your religion. Yes. Yes. That. Yeah. That. I, I, I would fully, now, maybe not in the way that they've been done before, but I would support a revival, not a revival, but like a, like a Christian revolution. Hell yeah, let's do it. That'd be super fun. I might come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. To that point, is it, is it time to politicize religion? Uh, it always has I mean, been. Right. And what I mean by that, because it, it always has been uh, from the sense of political campaign. <laughs> always yeah. has been. Uh, political campaigns have used religion yes. to uh, brainwash their fan base or yes. win votes. But I don't know if religion has taken a strong enough political stance. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I don't know until recently if the church has done enough to come out against things like this or to mm -hmm. stay, stay firmly where they stand uh, on things like Black Lives Matter or yeah. um, other injustices that we've seen this last year. I don't know if the church has done enough. I think they've taken a very hands-off approach, um, which I guess the... Uh, the logic there is separation of church and state, which that part I get behind. Obviously, separation of church and state, if we actually had it in this country, would be great. But I, that's not really what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for the church to basically um, uh, be about what they say they're about, I guess. Yeah. Like, if you're going to talk, then you better walk, because I don't think the church has done enough to, um, to like I said, condemn or to help, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think... You mentioned uh, Notre Dame Cathedral earlier, um, and I think if I had any faith left in the church, like that's where it all went, um, because they raised two hundred million dollars or whatever it was to fix that church in you know fourteen seconds. But you know, I I can't say that I've heard any of my local churches even say that Black Lives Matter or that. Yeah. Uh, we should value all people and all life. Um, you know, I haven't heard any church come out and there's a social justice issue or condemning white supremacy or distancing themselves from it. When you continually see these people supporting Jesus, the church doesn't say, that's not the same Jesus we support. Like, yeah. I, I need to see some action from them. Like, at this point, it's become, um, it's kind of the same logic for me as like, uh, white silence is kind of like as privilege at this point. Well, it always mm -hmm. has been, but um, we're seeing this this more clearly now. Um, that if you're not talking about it, because like I'm not a political person or whatever. No, you're just privileged, and it doesn't right. affect me. <laughs> right. um, like yeah, that's I don't, I I don't care who wins is a right. a, a bold stance to take. <laughs> right, and like, exactly, and that's where I think the church has positioned itself. It has the luxury of not caring uh, because it knows that its fan base will be there and its bills will be paid and they won't be taxed. So, um, well, I don't think that the, 
my my faith in religious individuals was renewed last year and it didn't come from the church because I, I don't i don't look to the church i don't have an expectation of the church i've stopped having expectations of the church that's no, right and like i'm saying the church as in a very broad general there are wonderful congregations out oh, there that do amazing amazing activism do wonderful things love them support them stand yes. with them you that's stand back stand well. back and stand by and um <laughs> but um the individual who really renewed my my faith in religion was nina turner with the sanders campaign mm. um she was one of his top she was one of the top surrogates an incredible public speaker i cried at like every speech at least teared up um because she's just incredible she's amazing i showed i showed ben uh i showed pfeiffer some of the videos of her speaking yeah, she's, she's pretty so high. good and she's running for congress in ohio so go donate um at act blue and um but she puts her faith front and center in her politics. And although we may not share the same faith, it is admirable. And the way she does it, the way she just calls out truth to power and the way that she has such a strong backbone and is unapologetic in what she fights for, for justice, for racial justice, economic and environmental justice, and for economic justice for working people. Like, and I, I think I told Ben this when we were watching one of the videos. I was like, whenever Christian's talking about like the spirit speaking through them and stuff like that, I'm like, if there ever was that happening, it is with this person. And I'm not trying to say that as like, she's like, like the one, right? There are plenty of people who are just like that, which is wonderful. We need a lot of people like that. But all that to say is like, we have to start looking to have faith in individuals, like not an individual because that's fascism, but not looking for expectations coming from the church but i think there are people in the church that have the potential to be heroes right now um some of them that are heroes right now that are doing, putting the work and that are taking to the streets that are fighting for justice but i think that religion can be a very 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 effective avenue for extremely positive change that we need and we're in America, so you have to have the religious vote if you want to get anything done. And I think that you can utilize it in healthy ways. I think you can utilize it for positive change. But it's going to come from individuals in the church, not the church itself. That's disappointing. Yeah. It is, but it is. Yeah. yeah. But like, you've got, like, I know you keep coming back to it, but MLK, he was a reverend. Like, mm-hmm. there are people, there, some of the most prominent amazing wonderfully powerful people in our history that have created the greatest changes in our history the most positive changes in our history have come from religious institutions which again it doesn't make you a great person to be religious just like it doesn't make you a not great person to not be religious but there's value and virtue in the fight that some some people find in their religion and that they're able to bring into a positive light and fight for fight for justice and it's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. On that note, Georgia just elected a black reverend uh, to the Senate. So radical liberal Raphael Warnock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I, I was very excited for that when that happened. Oh um, God, yeah. I had I, I almost put money down. I would have lost because I said Warnock would win, but Ossoff would lose. But that's it thinking. surprised me. But can we just yeah. take five seconds to appreciate? the guardian angel of america stacy abrams right now i'm not even oh a huge fan gosh. of her politics but the work she put in after her gubernatorial so, race 
she could have run for president for Senate, but she said, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a, I'm going to create an organization in my state to pull voter turnout so much. She just saved our country. Legitimately. And she will always be undercredited for it, but always, but I'm here to give you some credit because man, what a hero. Oh, it is official. It's official. It did just happen. Um, Mikael Pence just declared Joe Biden the winner. Uh, really? Nice. Yeah. 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 I just Lit. I got some some updates from my girlfriend a second Pog. ago about about um, Trump's. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I guess my my deal here is my, my I guess my final say for the religious part yeah. of this closing statements is yes, you're right, Jesse. There is a lot of good people in religion that are working very hard and that are taking their religion into politics in a beneficial way. Uh, And I I do think those people deserve credit. And I I would be remiss if I came on here and acted like there was nobody good in the church. Um, uh, So that's not what I'm trying to get at. Like, I'm not trying to say that everybody in the church is. Oh, you're valid in saying that there's a ton of terrible people. Yeah. Uh, my issue isn't so much the terrible people. It, well, my issue is those people, but not right now. My issue right now is the people who aren't terrible. My issue right now is the people that are quiet. Mm. Um, it's the people that were on Facebook when Target got looted and aren't on Facebook right now because they were angry when Target got looted. And right now they're saying, pray for our country. Oh, yeah, those sales were incredible. Yeah. and <laughs> And so... Uh, what I need from, from them is not for them to put on Facebook, pray for our country. Like I need them to be about it right now. I need them like this whole, like put on your WWJD bracelet and actually do what Jesus would do. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you think for one second, Jesus would not call out the corruption in this country, you are fooling yourself. Reach out to your state's NAACP organization. See what you can do. Yeah. Like Jesus, just just act like Jesus would. That's that's my deal, man. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna say it, do it. Yeah. Pfeiffer, you got a closing statement? Uh, yeah. Uh, don't be racist. Uh, Lit. <laughs> I think that's pretty good thing not to do. <laughs> um, but also. I mean, Jesus said this, the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And being racist isn't really loving anyone. Um, So don't don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, it's not cool. Bad vibe. (laughs) Bad vibes, man. But also, I don't, it's not enough to not be racist. Be active in your love towards other people don't yes. be not racist is like aggressive love it's the bare minimum you should be you know it's like, a low bar it's yeah. a pretty low bar not to be racist i love so my neighbor, i love my neighbor so much that when i see them being systematically uh oppressed i do take to the streets you will see me in the street <laughs> okay <laughs> um I guess my closing statement would be don't let them try to downplay this. This Mm -hmm. was an act of sedition and terrorism and absolutely was racially charged. Don't let them make you forget that. 
this was a vintage white rage. And it's very important, especially for those of us with conservative families to be able to message to them why this is a problem and have them acknowledge it. Not, don't try to like fight your, fight your family if they're just really not gonna listen to you. Genuinely, like I understand there's, some of them are intense and I get that. But, you know, mirroring Ben's point, love your neighbor as yourself, fight for them as if they're your own um, and be safe. And we're going to get through this year. It's week one and we only have <laughs> 51 more to go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Not As Christian Is When We Started. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Pocket Cast, or Anchor FM, be sure to share that link. Our email will always be in the description and we are happy and willing to take any questions you may have. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, my name is Jesse. And if you hated it, my name is Ben.